everybody. Isn't that great that she didn't even see that coming? I love it. She just thought she thought she was giving an update, and we had something better than that. That was so great uh, that we can continue to bless our community that way. Again, thank you uh, for allowing us to do that and, and be the church out there in our community that so badly needs the gospel and the message of Jesus. Amen, everybody? And so we will keep doing that as long as you uh, continue to give uh, through the Dollar Club. And, and just it's good to see what God is doing through this church. Well, good morning to all of you. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. It's so good to see everybody here in the house. And uh, all of you who are watching online, I'm so glad that you are connecting with us as well, wherever you may be. And, man, I hope you get to us soon uh, because, man, this is a great place to be. And, and everybody, it's so, so good to be here. And so as you, soon as you could get here, we'd love to have you. Uh, and I know we also, we just came off of a great week at Big Kick Soccer Camp. Come on, everybody. Thank you so much. It was an awesome week. 300 kids, a bunch of coaches. We had great weather for the first time in a long time. It was a lot of fun. And, man, our, our kids learned a lot about Jesus there, uh, along with some soccer stuff. And so uh, here's what I know, that, that there actually may be some of you uh, that, that you took us up on the invitation for, for your kid to be a part of Big Kick. And, and then you also took us up on the invitation to come here uh, and, and be here today. And so, man, we're just so glad that you're here if you're new or visiting. And so I just really want to give you really quick a snapshot uh, of who we are if you are new or visiting. So we are a church who is an open door to anybody who is looking for answers in life. And, and we believe that Jesus is that answer, that he is the answer to the ultimate questions in life, that he answers the biggest questions that we have of why we are here, that, that he came here to show you what life is all about. And then he died for you to show you what love is all about. And then God raised him from the dead to prove to you that he wasn't just a human, that he was God in the flesh that did come to save us and save the sins of the world, to save you and me and forgive us from the sin that separates us from a holy God so that we could be made right with God and be with him forever who wants to be with us forever. And here's the thing, we believe that knowing Jesus like that will absolutely change and transform your life. It will absolutely do that. That is not, listen everybody, this is not a religion that we believe in. This is a relationship that we get to have with our Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe who made you, knows you, and made a way for you to be with him forever. Uh, and so we, we are here to just help you take next steps in that journey, wherever you are with him, to get you closer to God and, and more and more changed and transformed uh, by Jesus. So we, we know we don't have the answers. But we come here to align ourselves up with Jesus, who is the answer. Amen, everybody? And that's what we're here, and that's what we're all about. And so actually, one of the we actually have a really big next step that's coming up here. I just want to highlight that, put that in front of you, uh, that in a month from now, we're actually having a baptism service on July 16th. And so that is for anybody. If, you, if you've recently made a decision uh, to follow Jesus and make Jesus the Savior of your life, or, or maybe you've been a Christian and you've never uh, been baptized as a believer in Christ. That's a huge step. In fact, that's the first step uh, that, that you take in obedience to be a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you to be a part of that service. And so right now, you could do a few things. Uh, we're having a class right after service at 1015 in the Next Steps room. So you can make your way to that class and be a part of that to see what it's all about and sign up to get baptized on July 16th during one of our services. 
Uh, and, and if you don't have time, that's okay. Still stop by. We have a little sign-up form for you. You can give us your name and information, and we'll, we'll get back. We'll get connected with you so you can be a part of that service. Uh, but you could also fill out a Connect card that's in front of your seats there. That's an easy thing to do. Uh, or go to riveridge.tv, sign up. Don't miss this opportunity uh, to, to get baptized. It's a huge step in the life of a believer. And if you can make that class, man, I hope that you make that in there because we will answer all the questions that we have for you, okay? So... What we've also been doing uh, this year, is, if you're new, is we've been navigating our way through the entire Bible. So we've been going from Genesis to Revelation. We started this in January, and we are in week number 23, which means this, everybody. In two weeks, we will be done with the entire New Testament. And that that's, that's deserves a clap, everybody. We got through the Old Testament. And I feel like God's shown us a whole lot. Hasn't God shown us a whole lot through the Old Testament? It's been a great journey for us so far. And so let's continue that. We've got a few weeks left in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open them up to the book of Ezra. All right, we're going to be in the book of Ezra today. Now, as you're getting there to the book of Ezra, let me get us caught up a little bit in God's story. So the last few weeks, we've actually been kind of in a rough patch with Israel, with, with God's people. And so uh, they've gone from being an independent powerful, successful nation that was growing uh, to now being overrun and overtaken in Jerusalem, which was the spiritual epicenter of God and his people. It had the tabernacle in there. It had the, the temple of God in there. Uh, it got completely destroyed, completely decimated and plundered. And all this happened, by the way, was a, it was a result of God's people just not getting God recognition. That they kind of ended up thinking it was them that got themselves there, that they were the ones who were moving everything. But it was really God who did all of it. And, and so, so he allowed the enemies to come in that were around them to overtake them. And so the enemy that took them over and that was in power at this time, uh, they were called the Babylonians. They, they were not a great group of people. They didn't believe in God. And so last week what we saw, though, is that even though Israel was plundered there, Jerusalem was, was taken over and completely destroyed, and they took a lot of people captive to Babylon, uh, and that's where they were brainwashing them, and they were just teaching in the ways of their culture to almost wipe God away. But what we st saw was that there was still a remnant of people who, who followed God, who, who really stayed true to their faith. And Daniel, uh, if you know that name, he was one of those people. And so he and a group of people, we saw this last week, he and a group of people, uh, they were used by God. They were used by God to follow him. And they will eventually, they eventually will become an other uh, launching point of God restoring his people yet again. And so this is where the books of Ezra and Nehemiah come in. Actually, before the Bible was written, uh, just so you know, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are the bookend of the Old Testament. It's the last sort of time frame that, that happens in the Bible. And it was actually originally one book. Ezra and Nehemiah was one big book with three big parts. Uh, but then when the Bible got translated and printed, it became two books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But these bo both these books really share the story of how the exiles came back to rebuild Jerusalem. And so that's where we're going to be today. So let's, let's get in there. Let's read a little bit, see what's going on uh, in Ezra 1. Now, there's going to be a lot that happens in the first four verses. So we're going to read and then talk a little bit, okay? So let's pick this up. Ezra 1, verse 1. So it says this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation through his realm and also to put it in writing... This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. 
and all of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may not now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And so here's what's going on. So obviously you see Babylon is not in power anymore it's not babylon anymore but now who is controlling uh the nation of israel or these group this group called the persians right so we see that right in verse one so what happened well the persians were growing in power uh and they were just as a power hungry nation as the babylonians and they ended up getting more and more strong and they came and they took over babylon they just totally took them over and now what that happened was the persians inherited the people of God, the Israelites. And what we need to know about the Persians is this, is they were not following God. They, they were not followers of God. In fact, their religion was called this. Uh, they, were, they were following this religion called Zoroastrianism. That's what it's called. Don't ask me what it is. It's a lot like Hinduism, but it was definitely not following the God uh, of the Bible, the God of the universe. And so here's what we need to know as a result of this. We gotta understand this. They were not buddies with Israel. All right, they, they did not come to free them. They did not come to rescue them. But what we see here is Cyrus, the king of Persia, who was following Zoroastrian, whatever his name was. I don't know what his name was. Anyways, he, he, we see him say, hey, you know what? Uh, we should let them go back and rebuild everything and just become a, a nation again. And here's my question. Just, I don't know if you want, why? Like, what benefit does that give Cyrus and the Persians? And here's the answer, everybody. None. There's no benefit that that gives them whatsoever. And here's what we need to understand because right here, what we just read, that was God's deal for his plans and his purposes on this earth. And here's the way I kind of read this part. It's kind of like Star Wars, I think, because I, I think Cyrus is like, well, I'm not going to let them go back to Jerusalem. You will let them go back to Jerusalem. I will let them go back to Jerusalem. But I'm not going to give them all the gold and silver and, and the temple stuff. You will give them the gold and temple and silver stuff and all that stuff. I will give them the gold and silver and temple stuff. I, I think that's what was going on. And, and you got to think that these governors and these leaders of Persia were like, Cyrus, what are you doing? Like, this is not how you stay in control of this big people group. But here's the deal, gang, what you got to catch. He had no choice. He had no choice in this matter. You know why? Because God was in control. This was already decided hundreds of years ago. In fact, thousands of years ago. In fact, from the very beginning, this script, by the way, was already written. Did you know that? Already written. So let me show you this because I'm telling you, when you come across this stuff, it gives me uh, chill bumps, okay? So, so before any of this happened, all right, before Cyrus was even born, before the Persians even were known, there was this prophet named Jeremiah. Okay, we're going to read what he wrote. We actually went across this when we talked about the prophets a few weeks ago, but here's what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29. We'll talk about it. He said this. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I promise, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have. We know this one. The plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope okay so now here just come with me for a second all right now what we just read there was something that jeremiah wrote in 605 bc if you want to write that down 605 bc all right and the persians what we know and this is this is true in history not just the bible you can see this and you know this is dated correctly and the persians took over babylon in the year 539 bc 
which was, if you do the math, 66 years before this happened, he wrote it, and it's 66 years of when it happened. That's pretty amazing, and it says in 70 years. And I know some of you are like, oh, it says 70, not 66, 80. Okay, close enough. Come on, man, close enough. Okay, but okay, I'll go with you there. Because that's not even the most amazing thing. Do you want, how about not 66 years before this? How about 150 years before this happened? Let's go there. Because there was another prophet who's long dead at this point in time with Persia, the Persians, being a prophet named Isaiah. And let's read what he says 150 years before this. Here's what he says in Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says, your redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. What am I gonna do? Says of Jerusalem, listen to this. It shall be inhabited of the towns of Judah. They shall be rebuilt and of their ruins, I will restore them. Listen to this. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, listen, let it be rebuilt and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. I don't know about you, but that kind of gives me chills. Because what you just read was Isaiah naming Cyrus by name 150 years before any of this happened and way before he was ever born. Come on, everybody, that's amazing to me. That is crazy what we just read. And so we gotta understand one thing. If you're taking, because like, here's what we need to understand. There's no uprising here. There's no like, let my people go moment like we had with Moses and all these guys, no overthrowing the king. It just happens. Why? Because God, that's why. And if you're taking notes, here's the very first thing that we have to understand about where we are right now, all the way back to the very beginning, it says is that God is in control. Isn't that amazing to see everybody? God is in control, that he is in control, that he is above all earthly powers. And so listen to me. The kings, the leaders, the presidents, the councils, all those people in the world who may look like they hold the keys, but here's what we need to know. The living God owns it all. He owns all of it, okay? And here's what this means for us if we are followers of Christ. What this means is you can't get hung up on that stuff that's going on. You hear me? Especially the political stuff that's going on. We can't get hung up on that stuff because God has it all under his control. Now, what it doesn't mean that we don't speak up. I'm not saying that. doesn't mean that we don't voice the truth in this world. But we also don't act like we don't know who's in control. Amen to somebody? We don't act like that. We don't freak out. We don't get worried. We don't get scattered in our thoughts or anything like that. We actually keep the peace and we keep our satisfaction and fulfillment in the Lord because he is in control. Amen? We got to believe that. We got to know that God has this. We got to know he's in control. And, and why this is so, here's for us, come back to us, why this is so comforting for us to know. God is in control is because see when you know that God is for you but he is this big right that he made everything but that he really knows you and that he is in control here's what you get to do here's what you could do you can just let go you, you can you can just let go you can let go and you can let God and I'm telling you it's the most peaceful thing that you could do to live out this life with God it's the most peaceful thing that you can ever do and I'm telling you it's the one big hang up that I think a lot of Christians don't experience because you're still holding on and you're not letting go and acting like God is in control you will have you can make book on this if you let go and you let God be God you have less stress less anxiety you have more peace and more satisfaction with this one big thing and so I just want to ask you right now before we move on Who's really in control of your life? Is God really in control? What are you still holding on to that you think that you actually are big enough to control? Is there anything 
you feel like you're all right as I say that? You, is something hit you? That you're kind of white knuckling on your own? You won't find peace there. Listen, you will not find satisfaction there because the truth is, here's the thing. Even if you think you're in control, you're not. Right? You're not. And so we could, so, and, and come with me, man. Without God, without God, like any of this, it doesn't matter. Right? If we don't have a God. But if we're with God, and he really is control, there's peace that comes. There's satisfaction, and, and there's just a, a, an ultimate, like, fulfillment in knowing that he is in control. To recognize that he is only in control is to look at the circumstances in our life like this. Hey, man, it is not God doing something to me, but it's God who can do something in me. You hear me? No matter what we're going through, it's not God doing something to me. It's God doing something in me. He can and he will use these things that we do not control. We are not in control. And trust me, again, like without God, we, we, we're still going to go through this. And we cannot do anything on our own. But with God, whoa, baby, he could do something. He's able. He can transcend all these things of the world. He could bring hope and peace in. Somebody say amen to that. He could do it. God is in control. I don't think Cyrus had one thing to do with this. If you read, he had nothing to, he didn't even know what he was saying, I don't think. He was like, what are the words coming out of my mouth? I think that's what was happening. So let's get back to Ezra. We're going to jump in chapter three. That's how I read it. It doesn't say, you won't find it. Maybe I should write my own like sort of commentary. But anyways, um, so we're going to jump to chapter three. And here's what's going on between chapter one and chapter three. The whole chapter two is, is them getting everybody together, writing everything down and getting ready for the journey. So we're going to pick this up in chapter three, uh, verse one. So let's get back in there. It says this. It says, so when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. And then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, 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 I gotta be careful on that one, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel. I went over that one a couple times. To sacrifice, didn't help me, burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Okay, so here's what's happening. So Moses says in the seventh month, so most scholars uh, map this out and believe it, take, it took about four months to get from where they were to Jerusalem. And that's if they were like straight line and no stops. We don't really know how long it took. It says that they got there or, or they've been there for a while, but it says in the seventh month. I think it probably took longer than four months. But, but what we see though is the very first thing that they did was they reinstituted worship. That's what we see them do. So, so they got together in the center of Jerusalem where the temple once was, and all, and all the ruins were around them. It was, there was nothing standing. Tons of work to do, right? And the first thing before they do any work, before it says anything about work, they go to God. And again, because here's the thing, because they knew then what is still true of us today. If you're taking notes, here's what sticks out in chapter three, is that we will all worship something. You hear me? We will all worship something. Don't you believe that you're not worshiping something? Because you and I were made to worship. We, we will all worship something. And here's what I'm going to tell you. It is either going to be about me and my needs and what I want and what will get accomplished for my life, or it will be the God of the universe. Those are your options. Everything else goes down to you and what you need, or it's going to be God. And it's for us as believers, I want to like talk to believers today. I know some of you here maybe not be, and I think God will speak to you as well. But man, it's so easy to misplace our worship, isn't it? Can we just be honest with each other? It's a little easier than we think to misplace our worship. It's easy to be more of the world, right, than to be living for Jesus in the world. It's so easy to find line. Man, we, we will lose our worship if we do that. It's easy to put our energy on what we're doing and not what on what God wants to do through us. It's easy, right? It's easy to forget that the gospel isn't about we can do it, 
but that we give our allegiance and surrender to Jesus who has already done it for us. It's so easy. And so we gotta be careful and we gotta line ourselves upright. And so I think that's why we see that this is the very first thing that they did because what they wanted to do is they wanted to establish their hearts first. You see what I'm saying? They're like, let's get our hearts right because our hearts are gonna go, and we gotta do the same thing. We have gotta set our hearts right all the time, every day, or it will just go all over the place. We gotta line our hearts up in the right place. We need to, we need to establish our hearts quickly. And that's a daily thing. And gang, here's, here's what I'll tell you in here. Like why, this is why we do what we do here on Sunday mornings. Like the, it's why the very first thing that we do when we come in here is we, we come into a call of worship and we worship God and we celebrate Jesus because that gets our hearts right on Jesus. When we sing to God and get right on Jesus, that's why we, it's the very first thing that we do is, is worship. And, and so they reestablish worship. It's the first thing that we do. And, they, and then it says they start working on the temple. So we're gonna pick this up in verse 10. So, so what happened was they, they, laid, they like built the foundation, right? The bottom layer of where they were gonna put the temple. So it says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of uh, Asaph, with, with, I gotta be careful that one too, with symbols took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. And with praise and thanksgiving, here's what they did, they sang. To the Lord, they sang, He is good, His love towards Israel endures forever. And all I love this part all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So we saw where they reestablished worship, saying, We got to align our hearts right with God. And now we see they started to do some work and they laid the foundation. And so this is where we see them praise and worship for the first time through singing. Right through, through singing and they sing and they have this joy because the, the foundation of God's house is finally laid. And I think they, they're starting to begin to see that God's house is being rebuilt. And, and so now they have hope and they have this imagination of what God is going to do and what the future will bring for them. And, but here's what we have to see, everybody. Here's what we gotta keep in mind. We have to see what was meeting them in that place. We have to see what they were surrounded by. They show up to rubble to ruins of the place that their ancestors and their families came from. That, that this is where they were supposed to be and it's absolutely decimated. There's nothing higher than a few feet up. And I could imagine the thought of like, where do we even begin? And the overwhelming feeling of like, how do we even start? And, and there's this uncertainty and, and you're reminded of how bad things were at that point for, for your families, for your family line. And so you're dealing with this this loss, this loss, and, and you're trying to pick up the pieces. And so you have to think about this sorrow, right? The sorrow of what they saw there. But at the same time, everybody, it was meeting them with this renewed hope of what God can do and what he is about to do. And you know, honestly, maybe it's not so hard for you to imagine that. Maybe it's not so hard for you to have a picture of that. Maybe you can actually relate to this pretty easily because maybe you're in the middle of something. Maybe there's some ruins going on in your life. Maybe there's some rubble going on with you. You got some things going on. Maybe there's a trauma that you've experienced in your life and it's just always there, just ready to rear back up, ready to, ready to rise again. Or, or maybe there's just this season that you're in of loss or season of sorrow or season of sadness or season where, where, where you're just not able to really figure it out. So I'm like, how do I do this? How do I rebuild? And here's what I wanna tell you. We've all gone through seasons like that. 
like having Jesus in your life doesn't mean that, that you're immune to those seasons that we go through. And it's hard in the middle of that. Honestly, gang, it's hard in the middle of that to see relief, right? Or to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But can I just tell you, can I just tell you that hope's there? Hope's there. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. It can really happen. And this is what I believe they knew. This is what they were bringing in. This is because, man, this is what they were seeing when they praised God in the middle of what was still pretty messed up, by the way. Just remember, like, all they had was a foundation. What I mean was they just had one little layer of stone, nothing higher than maybe a foot or two, and it was just a base layer. That No building, like, no, no finished product, but I believe they got the metaphor of what this foundation was. I really believe they got the metaphor. This. See, because how they laid the foundation back then was this, and a lot of us know this. What they would do is they would get the most perfect, like, lined up stone, heavy, solid stone. They called it the cornerstone. And that would be what would be measured from and what would be going off of for the entire building. It would be this one stone. And so it had to be perfect. It had to be like perfectly aligned uh, and, and the strongest thing that they could find because if it wasn't perfect, if it wasn't lined up right, then the whole building uh, would, would not be lined up and it would not be perfect and it would not be strong and it actually would not even be structurally sound. But see, everybody, listen, if the cornerstone was sound, and if it was strong, and if it was straight, then the building would be straight. The building would be pure, and it would be strong. So don't miss this. You can't miss this, right? This is the key to the whole rest of the story with God and his people, with them laying down this foundation. See, they knew what was most important, and it wasn't what they were about to rebuild, but it was about the foundation that was already in place. You hear me? They got it. They got it, and it was not some physical thing. It was the God of the universe who they already knew. And that's what we got to be challenged with. And, and so that's what allowed them to sing and praise God when all they saw in front of them was almost still space and rubble and ruins because like, we got the foundation. We're good. Come on, somebody. We're good. And so here's how this happens for us too. This is how this happens for us too. See, what we need, what we need for hope to rise from the rubble in our lives is having a foundation in your life that's stronger than the things of this world. That's what we need. That's what we have to have, that, that we have to have a foundation that is stronger than the circumstances of this world that transcends and is stronger than whatever the world brings. So foundation, if you want to write this down, here's what foundation actually means. It means first principle. That's what it means. Foundation means first principle. So this is, for us, this is what your identity is built on. It's what it's defined by and, and what gives you the security and hope in your life. And for us, this is why this is so powerful, gang. This is, this is, this is it. This is why it's so powerful. Did you know that Jesus is called our cornerstone? Did you know that? Well, I'm gonna show you if you didn't, okay? Because here's how Jesus is described in Ephesians 2, and let this sink in a little bit. Here's what it says, that Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure of your life being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here it is, everybody. Like, this is where I want to encourage you. This is where I want us to really step up and be the church of, of God that he wants us to be today. Here's what I want to challenge. Two things. Two things that I want to challenge us to think about. First, is Jesus your cornerstone? Or is this something else? Like, are you just saying it or are you like, no, no, I know that's what I'm building my life off of. I know that everything I'm doing is straight and I know that it's strong because I'm going from him and I'm not going from anything else. Is Jesus your cornerstone? And here's the thing, for us as a church, man, I got fired up when I was going through this uh, for us as a church, because for us as a church, man, I started thinking through this. Like, here's what I was asking myself and what I think we should all ask ourselves as a church, man. Is this his vision for our church or is it something else? 
Because I don't want to be something else. Like, I want to be his vision for the church. Are we building from him and not anything else? Gang, I want, us, I want our community to see that over anything else, that Jesus is our cornerstone. Not the lights, not this building. Come on, somebody. Not the programs, not anything we do. All those things are just little building blocks of the foundation and the cornerstone in Jesus. It's Jesus. It will always be Jesus. And if we want to see this community transformed, it is because we are going off the cornerstone and the foundation of just Jesus. Somebody praise God for that because that's who I want to be. Are you in that with me? Yeah, come on. I don't know what's coming up for us, but all I want to know is are we using Jesus as our cornerstone? Man, I just, I want to be challenged by that. I want to be fired up by that. And, and I just want to, I want to challenge us and encourage us in that. So, so it's, it's key for us. And so I love the timing of this. I didn't even think about this till this week. So in a few weeks, here's what we're going to be doing. Because when we start the New Testament, we're going to go through 12 straight weeks of just Jesus. Right? Out of the Old Testament, into the New. Yeah. And so we're just going to be talking about Jesus week after week after week of who he is, why he came, what he did, remembering that he is the foundation in our lives, that he is the cornerstone of this church and whatever is to come. Sound good, everybody? You ready for 12 straight weeks of Jesus? I think it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. We'll get out of that Old Testament and uh, we'll get into Jesus and what he's all about because, man, like, if we, here's, it, here's why I'm fired up about it. Like, if we know that that's what we're building off of, good luck stopping us. Good luck stopping us. <laughs> like out there, get ready. I think God's going to do something here. I really do. Uh, and I just want to be ready for whatever season he's bringing us into. Because it's his season. It's what he wants to do through us as a church, okay? And I just want us to be ready and be encouraged with Jesus together. So here's where we're going to land today. Just three big things that I want to challenge and encourage us in. One, uh, if we want to, and I want to invite you to do this as well. So here's the first thing we're going to do as a church and what I want us to do individually. First, I got to love Jesus first. Now, as you write that down, I know that sounds very simple. But I just thought I would mention it. Okay, like I think that that is important for us to understand. That's the key to Christianity. Like I want to encourage you to just love Jesus. Have conviction on your love for Jesus. Make him your first love in your life. Have conviction there, okay? Because I don't want us to be religious. I ain't going to get it for us. I ain't going to get it for us, right? Because when you're doing this out of love and not religious activity, man, when you're doing this out of love, that's that's where this whole Christianity thing becomes a want to and not a have to. Like, it becomes a want to and not some burden. And, and here's, for me at least, like, you know why it's easy for me to love Jesus? Because last time I checked, wasn't nobody in line to pay for my sins. Like, last time I looked back there, there was nobody in line to go through a gruesome death to save me and redeem me from the sins that, that hold me down and keep me back from a holy God. I looked back the, the other day, nobody was there but Jesus going, hi. And so it's easy for me to give him all I got. Come on, somebody. And to say, thank you, Jesus. I want to make you my first love. And so I can't give enough of my life back to him. I can't. I can't do There's nothing that is more important than that. And here's what Jesus says. Here's what he says. He says, so if you do love me, then you'll keep my commandments. And here's how some people read this, and I'm telling you, you read it wrong. Some people think that this is what Jesus is saying. Okay, Andy, all right, Andy, ready? If you do everything right, and you follow them rules, then I know you love me. That's not what this says. He doesn't say it like that, but uh, that's not what he says. He says, if you love me, then you will. You get what I'm saying? He's like, it's just gonna happen. It's just gonna come a want to, if you love me. And, you know, I thought about trying to say this in a different way, uh, and it made me think of my marriage, because here's the thing for me, and I've said this before. Like, I don't have to wake up every day going, all right, Andy, all right, man, just, uh, you know, no infidelity. All right, man, get 
ready. Come on, man, I got just one more day to stay faithful to Courtney. No, that's not what I do. I don't have to smack myself awake to do that because I love her. And it's, it's not some burden to stay faithful to her. Same thing with Jesus, somebody, okay? Same thing with him. Jesus says, love me first, then you'll obey. Don't do it the other way. Don't do it the other way because it's not right and it's not what I'm saying. So again, just, just anyone following this, this is huge. This is huge. Okay, here's the second thing. I need to find my worship. Sorry about that mic thing. I didn't mean to slap myself. All right. We have to find our worship. We have to find our worship. We have to tap into that to get more of God's presence, more of God's promises in our life. And why I want to say that is, is there are all kinds of different ways that we worship. Here's what you got to understand. Like, Singing is just one form of it. There are all kinds of different ways that we worship. And here's what I want. I just want to ask you, do you know yours? Because, listen, there are different pathways that all of us have to get to a closer uh, experience of God's presence uh, and his promises in our life. And so do you know your spiritual pathway? And here's what I know. A lot of you don't. A lot of you don't even know there's more than one. I thought you were, you're like, I thought it was just singing. There's a bunch of them. And what we do once a year because of this is so important to understand what yours is, is we give out a sheet called the Spiritual Pathways, and it just lists all of the different ways uh, that we have access to God through worship. And if you've never taken one, I think the last time we did this was about last year this time. We have them out there in the lobby. It's worth picking up because it challenges you and it helps you find what yours is because you'll resonate. You'll be like, oh, that's kind of what it is. And God's like, ding, ding. Like, that, that's what it is. So grab one of those if you haven't had one. Watch it online. I'll try to figure out how to get it up there for you. I'm sure we'll get that figured out. But, but you've got to find your worship. And here's what I want to tell you. Regardless of whatever your pathway is, I still want to encourage you to participate with us here on Sunday morning when we do come and we give praise and worship to our God and celebrate Jesus. Because here's the thing, man. We are all called to do that. We're all called to come together. And it doesn't do just something for you. We all need it when we do it together. And so just something happens when all of us are together, like singing uh, and, and collectively praising Jesus. Okay, so we've got to find our worship. Third thing, I need to empower the Holy Spirit. I need to empower the Holy Spirit. And so here's what you need to know. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. All right? Now, listen. In the same measure... Like, what you have today is the same measure you had when you are saved, and you will not have another measure of it that's better or bigger. He is in you, and he is, there's no different measure that somebody else has. Now, what is different is, is those people who choose to empower the Holy Spirit who is accessible in our lives. That's the difference that you see. It's not somebody having more of the Holy Spirit. It's actually somebody saying, man, I'm going to empower you to do more. And so, so that's the difference that we see. I want to encourage you, man, to empower him in your life. He wants to empower you to do amazing things, and not just for your sake, but for the sake of Jesus being spoken of and, and lifted up in this world. Here's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John 16. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in to all the truth. And so here's what I want to say. The more aware you are of the Holy Spirit in your life, then I think the more access that you will find to him and the more you will empower him to work in your everyday gang. Here's the reality, and then I'll be done. Here's the reality. Like the world operates in a different way. Do you know that? Like here's the world's default. The world's default is to operate apart from the transcendent, amazing, supernatural life with God. And right now there are way too many Christians who are just living out natural lives. That is not the life that God gave for you. We don't, we're not here to live out natural lives. The, 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 the natural life of the world is overtaking God's reality in your life. But don't miss this, man. God never designed you to live a natural life. He made you to live the transcendent, supernatural, amazing life that can be empowered in you through the Holy Spirit and what he came to do. Are you going to let him work through that? Are you going to let him do that? Come on, somebody. Are you going to let him be empowered in that way? Somebody say yes. That's who he wants to be in you. So, so you got... 
Somebody's got to activate the Holy Spirit in you, I'm telling you. He's active right now, but you need to activate him to be doing some things in your life. And I'm not talking about like just speaking in tongues. Like that is a spiritual gift. I'm talking about something different. He will lead you into the truth. He will change you. He will make you more like Jesus. All you got to do is just empower him to work. Are you getting me out there? Man, that's what we got to do, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish uh, by worshiping uh, and just coming back to Jesus as our cornerstone. And I'm going to come back out and I'm going to pray for us.
control. I pray that you just encourage us in that. Give us assurance of who you are in this world so that we can step forward knowing that in our lives and that, that we just come back to our first love in Jesus and we're encouraged by that as well and that we empower the Holy Spirit who is in us to be the voice in this world that makes the most sense that Jesus is Lord of all. Just come to him. All who are burdened and heavy laden, he will give us rest and peace and forgiveness and the life that we are looking for and the answers that we need. And we all pray as a church in Jesus' name we say, amen. How was today? Was it encouraging? Did the Lord bless you today? I hope he did. Man, I hope this was a great service. Hey, don't forget to stop by the Next Steps st uh, station there if you're interested in baptism. And we'll see you here next Sunday.